Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world that you are today. I am so excited for our webinar today. My name is Priscilla, my pronouns are she, her. I am coming to y'all from San Diego, which is the, let's see. I am originally from San Diego, but I'm forgetting the land acknowledgement, which I can look up in a moment. Um, and we're here today with Ken Hartman from TBW, TPW, and I am so excited for our time together. Um, and I am coming to you from the Native people's land of the Kumie people. And I'd like to take a moment to share Ken's bio. Kenneth Hartman is an award-winning writer and prison reform activist. Sentenced to life without the possibility of parole at the age of 19, he served more than 37 years in prison before former California Governor Brown commuted his sentence. He was paroled on December 20th, 2017 and remains free. Ken wrote about his experiences in his essay, The Prisoner's Purpose, which won one of the John Templeton Foundation's 2004 Power of Purpose Awards. His book, Mother California, A Story of Redemption Behind Bars, won the 2010 Eric Hoffer Award for Memoir. In a December 2014 feature for Harper's Magazine, he describes he described three decades of prison Christmases. In December of 2018, he published an essay in Harper's addressing the impact of the intergenerational transmission of trauma in his family. In October 2019, he published another piece in Harper's on the experiences of paroled longtime prisoners. Ken is an internationally accredited life coach and a practicing community teaching artist working with re-entry populations, adult learners, and conducting one-on-one -on -one creative writing coaching sessions. He is deeply involved in transforming the prison system through his work as Director of Advocacy for the Transformative in Prison Work Group. Ken has also served as the development coordinator for several community-based organizations since his parole in 2017, helping to raise more than $7 million in crucial funding. So welcome, Ken. Thank you, Priscilla. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Anything I missed? Anything you'd like to introduce yourself with? Um, I think that was probably more than enough. And uh, the only thing I would add is I'm also a very proud father of a, a lovely 27-year-old uh, daughter uh, who is uh, doing extremely well and also is working in the prison reform space. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, all right. With that, I'd like to invite everyone into a centering, quick centering, grounding practice before we jump in. So if you'd like to join me, I invite you to find a comfortable seat, if that is reclining in your chair or whichever surface that you're on. I notice that when I bring my intention to a centering, my eyes close. So if you're able to uncomfortable and it feels supportive, you can go ahead and close your eyes or Lower your gaze, relax your gaze. It is coming into a place of intentional stillness, allowing the surface beneath you or behind you to hold you and to support you. 
Maybe just notice what your breath does. Not trying to force any kind of breathing, but just taking notice. I notice that once I come into this space and this intention, my breath becomes a bit longer and a bit slower. I invite you to allow your exhale to release any tension you may be feeling. I tend to hold a little tension around my face where I hold my glasses, in my shoulders, my lower back. So just allowing each exhale to release any tension or any, any extra energy being held in the body. And if you notice a sigh or some sound wanting to join your exhale, that's invited as well. If you feel your body called to do any kind of movements, invite that movement. I notice that my head wants to begin to create some small half circles, tilting my chin down and rotating my head to the left and right. Then I notice a yawn that is also welcome. Maybe just allowing our head to create these half circles, allowing the weight of your head to guide the movement. And then bringing our heads into stillness, not a centered position. Ah, I noticed another small yawn. And to me, that lets me know that my body is relaxed. My nervous system is relaxed. I feel relative safety. I invite you to open your eyes if they were closed and just begin to orient to your space, maybe looking up in one of the directions of the space that you're in, just taking everything in with a curious mind versus a mind that says, oh, I need to do that. I need to fix that. Just taking in your space, maybe looking at the space in front of you, the space to the other side. Just noticing the colors and the textures, maybe bringing your gaze above you. Maybe taking in the space behind you in one direction. And gently coming back and making your way to the other direction. Bringing your attention to your exits. And just taking in the path between you and your exit. Bringing your gaze back towards the front. I'd like to also invite a little bit of movement with our breath. So inhaling and bringing our shoulders up. Exhaling and rounding them back and down. And just doing a couple of these rotations with our shoulders with your own breath. Hi. 
Maybe going in the opposite direction. If you were joining and making circles with your shoulders. And then before returning, I'd like to invite um, some movement to maybe bring in some energy back into our bodies. So inhaling and bringing our shoulders up, maybe squeezing our fists, maybe squeezing tight. <sighs> Exhaling and releasing that. We'll do that a couple more times. Inhaling, bringing everything up, squeezing tight. <sighs> Exhaling to release. We'll do one more. Inhaling, squeezing everything up, shoulders to your ears, squeezing your fists, maybe curling your toes. <sighs> and exhaling, letting that all go. <sighs> Thank you for joining me. Um, yeah, I'd like to just share a little bit about the orienting, orienting practice that we did. Um, that is something that I learned from workshops and courses with Linda Ty, just bringing in our awareness to our space, I think it's helpful for our nervous systems and our bodies to feel that relative safety that we're in. If anything comes up, you know, that can be perhaps a little activating. It feels like that is doing some groundwork, laying the foundation that I am in a space, relative safety. Um, and then that last part of kind of bringing up our shoulders and releasing that air just to bring in some energy. I notice sometimes if I'm in a centering or a yoga practice at the end during the resting, the final resting, um, I can feel a little sleepy, maybe a little unfocused at the end of the class. So I like to share something to bring that energy back in to the, my body and back into the space. Okay. All right. So let's jump in. Um, I, I just love Ken. I've, I know you, I've met you through the TPW, the transformative in prison work group. And I would love to just, you know, talk about what that is. So, you know, if someone were to ask you, what is TPW? You know, what would you say? Uh, it, it's a, a much easier way to say the transformative in-prison work group to start with, TPW. <laughs> we realize it. We realize it's a long, somewhat complicated name, which I can say that in the not-too-distant future, we plan on rebranding and uh, coming with a name that we think is a little less complicated to say. Uh, but um, So the TPW began uh, in the middle two, 2010s, around 2014, I believe. Four organizations, uh, Inside Garden Program, um, Inside Prison Project, the Center for Counsel, and GRIP uh, formed a sort of a little collective, like a think tank. They wanted to figure out how can we be able to do our work inside better? What are the things that we can do that will make our uplift our space? Maybe figure out how to get more funding in. At the time, there was very almost no funding from the state for uh, yeah, community-based organizations. Um, and then... As the years went on, it sort of grew modestly. A few more people joined. Uh, and then like in 2016, they began thinking broad, more broadly about organizing the space. 2017, 2018 grew to about 30 members or so. Uh, in 20, 2018, I went on the leadership team, as it was called then. 
and then in 2019, I became uh, the advocacy director. Um, and that, and so we, we began sort of like a really big expansion at that point. And we are now 87 member organizations in California. Um, I think collectively all of our member organizations provide some kind of programming on every yard and every prison in California. Um, and yeah, it really, it's, it's a dramatic improve, and that's great efforts to many, many people, uh, who have worked really hard in our membership, uh, division, I guess. And, um, nice. yeah. And then, and then so, so, you know, there was the innovative grant program came about, uh, some years ago, and then there was what's called the care grants. So this, there was probably about three, four five million $5 a year available to all of the organizations in California that were trying to be funded. They were very competitive grants. A lot of it kind of boiled down to who had the better grant proposal writer, uh, which I do that on is another thing I do on the side. But, um, so what we did was we our first act as a advocacy team was to try to create a different funding structure, uh, and we created what's called the Right Grant, which is an acronym we developed, which means Rehabilitative Investment Grants for Healing and Transformation. Um, and I really like that acronym; I think it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that the first one was twenty million dollars, which sort of quadrupled the amount of money that was normally available. Uh, and that money was specifically for capacity building. Because we knew a lot of organizations needed funding for just basic things like, you know, upgrading their communication systems, their computers, buying various other things that an organization needs to run to be able to do the kind of work that you all do. Um, and basically, we set it up to be non-competitive collective grant process. So it doesn't doesn't matter how good your grant proposal writer is. It just matters. Do you do prison programming? You know, are you a nonprofit or sponsored by a nonprofit? And have you been working in this space? And are you committing to continue to work in this space? So it just really, we try to really simplify it. We now have the second version of that is actually available right now on the California CDCR's uh, website. You can access it there or through the California grants uh, portal like through the state government, Right Grant 2.0, which is for prison programming. Mm -hmm. um, and this one is $21 million. It's slightly more complicated, but not much. Still basically collective grant proposed process it's non-competitive uh it's just about do you qualify um and are you know are you willing to continue anyone who qualified for right grant one yeah. will qualify for right grant two so if you got money from right grant one you'll be able to get money from right grant two um and so that's so and so we kind of have two basic arms of tpw advocacy which is what i do and membership which is what seraphine serrano does uh basically that's two of them. and then we have operations people I do advocacy also with Ginny Oshiro, who is my partner in this work and could not get it done without her. She's fabulous. And uh, I, I'm deeply appreciative of all of her many, many talents uh, and energy. And also we have some operations people in the, in the background too. So it's, there's actually only five of us and uh, four of the five are formerly incarcerated. Uh, and um, so we're a formerly incarcerated led organization and we're very proud of that and we hope to continue to expand and uh, keep doing the same work so that's basically who the tpw is probably more words than necessary but that's what it is yeah that's amazing i remember seeing um when the right grant came in i started to see a lot of these other nonprofits posting that they're hiring and it just oh it made me so happy that this work exactly you know capacity building this work is very important, but it's also challenging 
to to get the funds, to find the funds, to continue the work and to do it in the way that that it needs to be done, to do it in a the most supportive way that we can, you know. Agreed. How 100%. did how did you get connected with TPW? Uh, well, that's a kind of a, a funny story, I suppose, at some level. Um, my friend, John Grobman, who is the, uh, uh, I think he's the operations, I don't know his exact title at Pause for Life uh, Canine Rescue, but he is fairly high level. I, I think uh, Alex, um, whose name I can't remember right now, is the executive director. I think John might be one level down from her. Um, he is a formerly incarcerated man like myself. We actually did time on the same facility together extremely close friends uh he was on the leadership team of tpw his his work commitments began to sort of overwhelm him and he he reached out and said hey ken would you would you take the seat uh on the leadership team you know you're really involved in programs you always have been but and i said okay sure i'll do that for you john and then uh, that's when i that's how i became involved in it it was just basically one one guy who's who i just want to say clearly john is a fabulous guy and was doing a great job. He just just had, didn't have time to put in the amount of energy that was necessary to really fulfill the full role. So, and I'm I did have more time available, so that's why I took it. Amazing! I love that. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and we're still good friends. Although you know, I he he got me into a job that's quite exacting, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and I know that we've chatted before because you, before TPW, before all this, you, you were pretty involved in programming and mm-hmm. in, in programming in, in facilities and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Sure. Yeah. So, so I was in prison for 38 years and I had, a, I had a sentence to life about the possibility of parole. Uh, I killed a man named Thomas when I was 19 years old, uh, which I, you know, I, it's important for me to state that out front. Uh, you know, I, I honor his memory. Um, you know, and my first 10 years, I was like a lot of other folks in prison, lost and stoned and, you know, involved in all the dumb stuff in prison. Uh, and I miraculously at some level, you know, met someone who fell in love with me and uh, started to change my life. And then, you know, I stopped using, I'm now I'll be 34 years clean and sober uh, on December 12th. Um, you know, and once I stopped using, I immediately sort of realized like I had to do something different with my life. And I also, you know, someone who read a lot and studied a lot. And I started reading about how other prison systems in the world operated. And it didn't take me long to figure out that we had a pretty terrible prison system. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion I was never going to get out of prison. That's what I thought. And I did. Mm-hmm. And most people with life without parole don't get out of prison, sadly. Uh, and, and I thought, well, the best thing I can do for the world is try to make the world that I live in better. So that's sort of what set me on the path of trying to make things better. Um, fast forward some years, I'm in this prison in Lancaster. Uh, this is 1998. Um, I At that point, I've been in prison about uh, 18 years, I guess. Uh, and... Um, probably the worst time in the California prison systems, like 175,000 people in prisons, grossly overcrowded, violence everywhere. Riots are happening like, you know, once or twice a week in some place. I mean, just really just a complete meltdown. And, um, you know, I started thinking, what could I do to create a space that might show that there's another way of doing time and another way that the prison systems could operate? 
So working with some of the guys that I was doing time with, I helped create something called the honor program uh, at Lancaster, which separated one yard, basically just said you, you had to agree that you wanted to program, you wanted to, you know, give up some of the, you know, the more negative, uh, you know, behaviors in prison that I had given up. And, and I think most people actually do want to, if there's a space where they could do it. And, uh, and that resulted in the creation of the honor program, which um, existed for a pretty long time, kind of sort of still exists at Lancaster, although it's never been fully supported. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it had remarkable, uh, you know, outcomes and you know, violence dropped off dramatically and, and the, the, and, you know, drug use, all that stuff. And I think, you know, to boil down, why did this work? Because people often ask me, why did that work? You know, everybody's, why well, yeah. can't happen in California prison? This was a general population level four yard. Why did it work? And I always tell people it's really not that complicated. You learn this in your first year of psychology in college, negative reinforcement doesn't really work on humans. Positive reinforcement does. So mm -hmm. the basic the basic part of the honor program was reward positive behavior. Prison system in California and most prison systems in the United States basically punish negative behavior. They don't right. reward anything. So it doesn't work. And you and you when you beat people over the head, eventually people go, eh, they don't even feel it anymore. So you don't have to hit me with something harder. And that's how right. you end up with this sort of downward spiral of, you know, prisons becoming more violent, more destructive, more out of control. Uh, and we said, wait a minute, there's another way to do this. What if we try to reward positive behavior? And it really worked. Shocking, did well, not shockingly really, but was shocking to everybody else apparently, but it really yeah. worked. And, and it created sort of an environment where uh, there was a flourishing of, wait a minute, I can do something positive and there will be positive outcomes from that. So we started having, you know, a flowering of programs and peer-to-peer -peer things set up and just, it was a dramatic change of everything. I mean, to the degree that we had administrators coming from other prisons, just kind of watching our yard going, how in the hell are you doing this? This seems impossible in California. We were like, well, we reward positive behavior here. And it shockingly encourages positive behavior. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, and, and so that's kind of like, and then I, I participated in programming my entire time, uh, particularly once I got clean and sober because I didn't want mm -hmm. to stand around and do nothing anymore. Um, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm a believer that, um, there's no one program that works for everybody, but there, but there's enough, if you have enough programs, there'll be a program available that will work for everybody among the selection of programs. Yeah. And I, and I believe that the vast majority of people in prison want to be better than their worst moment, want to, you know, to find a way to live a more productive and healthy life. I just think that almost all of us came from places where there weren't very many tools available for that or role models. You know, I came from a highly dysfunctional family in a very mm -hmm. crappy neighborhood, uh, was exposed to a lot of violence as a kid. Um, and that, you know, had caused a lot of, you know, problems in my behavior. It took me a long time to figure out how to deal with. So I just feel like programming, positive programming inside offers the best option, the best opportunity for people to be able to get better from the, you know, the re how they ended up in prison. And, yeah. and, and all, and all the science supports this, like, and I, and the last thing I'll say about it is is community-based organizations are clearly best positioned to provide the kind of real quality, compassionate, you know, uh, you know, embracing humanistic, trauma-informed programs that really impact people inside. State-provided programs, generally speaking, and I don't want to say every single person because it's not every single person, but state provider programs are just they're more institutionalized and they just have more of a kind of a you know like a government feel you know i think okay. a com community-based programs 
have someone like you coming in who comes in because you have a passion to make people you know, help people. You have a passion that, you know, I this I believe in this program. This is something that really works. And I'm here to help you see this. And if this works for you, that's great. And we'll help you with it. You know, and if you get enough people coming in doing things like that, um, I think we can dramatically change the way prisons operate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love how you mentioned, you know, community based organizations are the folks really doing this work. And you also mentioned, you know, kind of the way that the system is set up. It's like it's you're punished for negative behavior. And I know TPW just had some legislative wins. Mm-hmm. those two with those two things if you'd like yep. to share about that um i'm forgetting oh, yeah. it's ab ab 581 <laughs> and ab 1104 uh yep i'm happy i'm very excited to share that both of them have now been signed by the governor and they are california laws that will come into effect january 1st uh ab 581 is is really a very practical bill basically what its purpose is is to make it easier for for you and other people who want to come in and provide programming to get cleared. Mm-hmm. The clearance process is going to be made much simpler, much more efficient. It also makes it much easier for formerly incarcerated people to be cleared and to come into the prisons. Um, it's it just bottom line makes it easier, makes it simpler. And, you know, and, and it's one of these bills that passed with unanimous consent by everyone and nothing passes by unanimous consent by everyone in California or anywhere else in America. It feels mm-hmm. like because, mm-hmm. because, we only thing we wanted to do was make this system work better. Like, yeah. so, and, and everybody kind of went, well, that makes a lot of sense. Why, why aren't they doing that? And, and I also want to say that we know that there are m- many more things along in this path that we have to do, but this is a great first step. And I think we, you yeah. know, I would love if there was a way that I could flip a switch and the prison system would ban it vanish and we would have a radically different reality. I tr- truly mm-hmm. do. And I know that if that is what needs to happen somewhere down the road but for now for the you know hundred thousand people who are currently in our prisons in california i want to try to make things better and the best way to do that is to create processes that help folks again like you and the people on this that are listening i'm assuming get in and do the good work that they do so that's 581 we're also going to be talking meeting with the secretary of corrections in the near future to work on some administrative changes that really would be difficult to get done through a bill because they're very the, mm. the legislature doesn't like to change like the specific rules inside of an organization, an administrative agency. So we're going to be meeting with them to try to make some more detailed changes on things. This is definitely not the end of this. This is the first step, but it's a big first step, really is. Yeah. And and, and then AB eleven oh four, which is you know a much a much more profound bill because what AB eleven oh four does is the language literally says. The deprivation of liberty satisfies the punishment element of a prison sentence, period. The purpose of incarceration is education, rehabilitation, preparation for reentry, and a whole lot of other words along those lines. But those two things are the heart of the bill. What it Mm -hmm. basically says is prison is not for punishment. That's not what prison is for. Going to prison is the punishment, period. End of story. Prison is for rehabilitation, education, preparation for reentry, which is all of the things that matter the most. And I think uh, I think this is this is this is a bill that was a little more controversial. Not everybody supported, but it did get signed by the governor. And uh, and I believe that this bill is kind of like this is the lever that we needed 
You know, mm-hmm. if you have a big enough lever, you can move the world, right? So this lever is actually, a, this. I believe this is a very powerful lever because now we can look at things and go, so that's punishing people. Why are you punishing people? That's not yeah. what prison is for. Prison is for actually providing, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're, so I feel like this is, an, and again, this is part of a, we have a strategy that is not going to happen tomorrow, but over a period of, you know, not too distant future, but, you know, over a period of some years, I think we can move the system to a place that is much less damaging than it is now. So, and, and, and if it is less damaging, you know, I believe that ultimately that is maybe one of the best routes to decarceration that there are, because right. if we yeah. are less traumatized, they're less likely to come back. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I love bringing that in because I mean, yeah, saying, I just wish that all prisons would shut down and, and there was no prisons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I feel like for folks that maybe are not in this space, it's like, what do you mean? And so the, I feel like the goal to that is having these organizations of rehabilitation come in, help folks heal, hold the space for them to find the tools within themselves to heal. And then that turns into them not returning and then decarceration. And so that's kind of the path, right? That's the goal. That is ultimately the goal. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, look, we like to, we'd love to work ourselves out of a job, right? I mean, you know, that would be the ultimate goal is we figure out how to help everyone get as best, better as they can. And then less and less people in prison and gradually the prisons disappear and be replaced by community-based solutions that start at the front end. And we don't have to have, you know, these terrible institutions because they are terrible and they do need to go away. No argument. Agree with that. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious, is there language or, you know, since the bill passed about updating the language, is there language right now that specifies what prison is for? Or is that just something that hasn't been there? So it's an, yeah, that's an interesting question. And and it's, and it's sort of an interesting little thing there that uh, some years back, I believe it would be 20, I want to say it was late teens, but I'm not off the top of my head. I'm not positive, but that basically directed the Department of Corrections to create a mission statement mm. that 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 laid out the the what they wanted to do that was not about punishment. They and they did their missions. If you read the CDCR's mission statement, it's actually pretty cool. You go, wow, this they're doing some really great work. <laughs> but the but they did not change the penal code, and the penal code says that the purpose of prison is punishment. So okay. so the problem is, you know, the mission statement is not really a law. The mission statement is some words that you put on, you know, on a letterhead and go, this is our mission statement. It's super cool. Penal code is law. And so mm-hmm. what we want, what we and it was one of our, our one of our arguments in in advocating for this law was we're just trying to bring the penal code into line with this mission statement of the yeah. Department of Corrections. So we kind of use their mission statement as a way to help us get this law passed, which we appreciate that. Thank you, CDCR, yeah. for that. But uh, but that was kind of like and 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 again, mission statement isn't law. You can't you can't hold somebody accountable for a mission statement, but you can hold yeah. somebody accountable for a penal code. And this will this will be in the California Penal Code, and it will specifically say deprivation of liberty satisfies the punishment element of a prison sentence. Period. Mm-hmm. Sentence. The purpose of incarceration is this then details all the things that it is, none yeah. of which are punishment. Beautiful, amazing. Yes. Yes, and we are a little proud of ourselves on that. I won't lie; we feel pretty good Absolutely. about that. Absolutely, that happened. So uh, I'm I'm very happy about it. Yeah. Um, 
it kind of makes me think of because when we had our chat, you had said that you you've gone and visited prisons in other places of the world. And so, yeah, is that kind I, of what so, brings in, you know, bringing in this, the work, do you bring that into the work, the, the information that you learned across, across the world? Absolutely. And, 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 and it really informs what we're doing. And it's, this is another sort of, I don't know, funny story at some level. We were actually in the process of working to, and we actually had raised money and we were going to be bringing people from the Norwegian prison system to California mm-hmm. to meet directly with the governor and, and the leaders of the legislature. A lot of people have gone over there and looked at their prisons, but we wanted to bring them here mm. and actually have like a sit down face to face, you know, and uh, the governor, uh, you know, jumped ahead of us and went ahead and said, we're going to try to incorporate some of the principles of the Norwegian prison system, which, you know, oh, good. I'm glad. I mean, again, I mean, I'm I I'm not 100 percent in agreement with the way they're doing it at this point, but I am I do agree that it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it would be I think so. I've been to Norway and Finland several times. I've toured their prisons because that's what I do. I go to other countries to look at prisons. Um, and it, A, they're prisons. B, they're not fun to be in. C, they treat people inside much more humanely than, than we do. That's, and mm-hmm. that, to me, is the most important aspect of this. And they, and they have an ethos there that the person in prison is a fellow human being and is our future neighbor, and we are, we are not going to dehumanize them to the utmost degree that we possibly can putting someone in incarcerating someone is inherently dehumanizing at some level no Mm -hmm. argument about that but Mm -hmm. i think they they go far back you know bending over backwards to try their best to make it as less dehumanizing as possible and they and i mean everything the language they use they don't call people you know by you know derogatory names and stuff the officers refer to people by their first name and people inside refer to the officers by their first name how you Mm -hmm. doing bob doing pretty good Jim how are you you know I mean it's like <laughs> okay that's pretty cool you know I mean and again those those as someone who was incarcerated for 38 years you know being called an inmate and a convict and a felon and a, an offender and all these other things those are very dehumanizing terms and you begin you then become you become what you what you did you know and I and I believe Carl Jung said you know I am not the things that happen to me I am who I want to be you know, and I think the problem is the prison system says, nope, you are the things that happened to you and at what you did. And that's it. You're never going to be anything but that. And yeah. in Norway, they don't take that position. In, they, in Norway, they don't publicize, you know, what people are in prison for. They don't they don't make it easy for people to you know look up and go, oh, this guy did this. You know, they make they make that as private and confidential information. There's no logical reason for that to be put out. There's no registry list. There's right. none of these other you know things that. How do we how do we stigmatize and dehumanize people or dehumanize people as much as we can, like we do in this country? And mm-hmm. and these are other basic things that need to be worked on, without a doubt. But I mean, I they they say directly to people, "You are a fellow human being. We are going to treat you like a fellow human being. We want you to get out of prison as fast as possible, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to do everything we can to get you out as fast as we can." And and I think they do a pretty good job. Again, they'll tell you, if you talk to them, they'll tell you, we are not perfect. We do not do mm-hmm. everything exactly right, uh, but we do. The, we try. And I think they make a pretty hell of an effort to get things done in a good way. And I think they do generally a pretty good job. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can just feel 
your passion for this work. I can feel it just through our Zoom meeting here. And I'm curious what, because I can imagine, you know, someone who maybe was incarcerated for such a long time, never wanting to go back, or maybe, you know, it's like a place that wasn't fun, wasn't great. And you're touring, you're, you're touring prisons all over the world. You're like, let me get back in there for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what is there, was there a point where you decided this is, this is what my life's work is going to be. And like, what inspired that? Mm, and that's a good, that's a really good question. And thank you for asking that. Um, so, so I got my sentence was commuted in uh, the day before Easter in 2017. Governor Brown, who is a is a very much a Catholic. I'm also a Catholic, but not as much a Catholic as Governor Brown. But I'm I'm also a Catholic. But uh, you know, he it was a, a religious thing. He decided to to undo some of the things that he did in the 70s and 80s by his own admission. Uh, and and one of the things is he wanted to make make it possible for people who had life without parole to have a chance to get back out. And uh, and for reasons that are still a little hard for me to get around. I managed to be one of the first two people who got out, who was sentenced as an adult uh, to life without parole. I had, like I said, I had 30, I came in at 19, I got out of 57. Um, I never thought I would be, get out of prison. I really didn't. Um, and, um, and when I got out, Priscilla, I said, I am doing want anything to do with prison ever again for the rest of my life. I was like, that I am sounds done. like a thing, you know, like, if I go to yeah. a, a a restaurant, it doesn't work out. I'm not going back there. Right. Exactly. And and trust me, I, I that that was like I really was like this is it. I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do with this ever again. Um, however, you know, I I had been involved in a lot of activism from inside. I I authored a bill that passed the legislature by bipartisan majorities that would have instituted honor programs in every level three and level four prison in California. And had the Department of Corrections not torpedoed it behind the scenes and convinced Schwarzenegger to veto it, I think the prison system would have been a lot better now than it is, you know. So, uh, so I mean, I had been involved in some, you know, pretty serious activism. I did a lot of activism around life without parole, a lot of activism about programs and treatment of people inside, wrote a lot of articles in newspapers and magazines. And, you know, I, you mentioned I wrote a book and, you know, and some other things. So I had people knew me and knew about what I had done. So when I got out, I, people were reaching out to me almost immediately. Hey, can you come and do this? Can you talk here? And, you know, and I, and of course I felt a tremendous, really powerful obligation to the people I left behind, particularly folks serving long life sentences. You know, uh, I got out uh, again, still kind of like, I'm not sure why it was me. Uh, I'm glad it was me. I'm not gonna lie about that, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I, there are a lot of people who are just as deserving, if not more deserving than me who are currently in prison serving, long life sentences that should be out of prison. So I felt this tremendous responsibility to them. I still do. Um, and, and my friend, John really is one who pulled me back into it. You know I mean? He's like, he's like, what you can, you do this? And I, and I was like, okay, I can do that. You know? And I thought, well, all I'll be doing is just being kind of an advisor a little bit. I want to get too deeply involved. You know, I was going to just go be a writer and I, I had been writing grant proposals for nonprofits while I was in prison. Mm. So I knew how to do it. And I had two jobs like one month after I was out as a grant proposal writer for two different organizations. So I could have just done that and sort of stepped back and just kind of, yeah. but, you know, and, and then the more I got into it, the more I just sort of, I realized this actually is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. 
Um, you know, I, I don't like going back into prisons. I'm not going to lie. I'm, some people seem to have, they enjoy the energy of it or something. And I, God bless them, but I don't, I find it to be, uh, sad and, and, uh, you know, and, um, it, it always leaves me with a feeling of, of some level of despair for the folks that are yeah. in, I know what they're going through. It's not good. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel that this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I'm supposed to talk about this. I'm supposed to go the places I go. I'm supposed to do the advocacy. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to do this until I retire and I'm not doing anything. And then maybe I'll go be a writer and, you know, and just not do this kind of stuff. So, but yeah. that's not going to happen anytime soon. It would appear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like it's, you know, community-based organizations. I work at one, you work at one. Our passion is here. And I feel like it's just, it's so important. I don't know. I haven't been incarcerated, so I don't have the experience and the lens from that side, but just the importance of these community-based organizations, the importance of having folks from the outside come inside and, and share the work with these folks. Um, and yeah, when I think of prison yoga project, I know like the consistency is so important, just really coming in and, you know, I have relatives and, and close people to me who have been incarcerated um, share stories about when a new a new person comes in and they're like oh this person's just like doing their their yearly volunteer religious thing you know but noticing when someone does consistently come in week after week mm -hmm. and then they're like oh, okay this person's actually doing the work mm -hmm. and just the importance of all these organizations is overwhelming it is, it is, and 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 there's and there's like two things out of what you just said that I think are really important. The first is people who come in who do not have direct incarceration experience do important, fabulous, powerful work, um, and 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 are is so important to what's going on because because they're it's because you don't get very many people coming from the community who are coming in to tell you I care about you, I see you as a fellow human being. That is immensely important. I mean, more important than I think anyone who hasn't done time could really, I, I often tell mm -hmm. program providers, like you are going to be remembered by that person literally for the rest of their life. They are going to remember you. That class they took with you, they're going to be like, I remember Priscilla. I meant she had such a huge impact on my life. I, I, it, and I can say that with, I remember all the people I have participated in programs with. I remember all of them. And I remember how good they made me feel and and how they were there to say i see you as a human being ken you're not some cdc number you're not a crime that happened when you were 19 years old you're more than that you know so that is deeply and powerfully important and i also also think it is deeply and powerfully important to get folks who are formerly incarcerated in as well and 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 to, so that because i think people inside it's really helpful for them to see you know that there are people coming in um you know who uh, who have been who have done time and who know what they're going through i think but i think those two can work together really powerfully and i, I and i think that's like the each side has a very important role in this i think I, you know so i i i just i just want to like i i often and i often have in places i'm talking about how important it is to get foreign incarcerated people back in right. you know credible messengers and so it is and it is super important but I really also want to say how important it is for folks who are not formerly incarcerated also to come in 
I don't think it's an exclusion of one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think it's both. So yeah. I just, I just want to say that. Yeah. I appreciate that too. Um, cause I, I can feel like, you know, oh, I've never been incarcerated. Am I the right person to do this work? Am I the right person to come in and share space? You know, so saying that, um, is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. hundred <laughs> percent. I'd like to talk about, or maybe ask, you know, how can folks get involved? Like I, some of the, the first things I think of is, you know, maybe donating to orgs or sharing about it on social medias mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what are some paths that folks who maybe are not in this work already can get mm-hmm. involved? Yeah, I, that's a great question too. And I, and I think there's a whole bunch of different levels. I mean, I, I think to me, fundamentally, maybe the most, the most basic simplest thing that everyone can do is, is to stop and think when you have that immediate reaction of, Oh, that monster. Oh, that, Terror, you know, it's like take a couple of deep breaths. It's like, yes, good people do bad things. Regular human beings do bad things. I'm a regular human being. I did bad things in my life. I'm not bad. I'm actually a pretty good human being at this point in my life. And I spent a lot of years working on that. And it is in all of our best interests, every human being's best interest, to try to find the best in everyone else and try to help those who have had struggles get there to be their best self. So, I mean, that's like, to me, that's like the most basic thing, you know, it's just like people are humans and humans do bad things sometimes, but they don't stop being human. Maybe the next level from that is, is like, like you said, I mean, donating to help organizations, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to donate funds to things, there are a whole bunch of great community-based organizations all over California and all over the country for that matter, uh, who are doing amazing, good work. And who struggle to get the funds to be able to do it. You know, a volunteer organization is not really actually all a volunteer organization. Somebody has to have a job there to organize all those volunteers. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's like there, there are careers and jobs there. And there are people who need health insurance and a retirement plan and, you know, and be able to pay for their mortgage and their kids' childcare and all the other normal things. So funds are super important. And then, you know, if, if you are so motivated you know, reach out to organizations and say, I am really interested in whatever it might be. I'm a dog mm-hmm. trainer. I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. yoga practitioner. I'm really into meditation. I'm a, I'm an artist. I would like to help people learn how to paint. There's a, there's like so many different things that are available and possible and people who decide I'd like to volunteer to participate in that. I think that's amazing and great. And I, and I, and I also just want to like th- throw out there, it, you know, there are many religious organizations that go into prisons too. Uh, people in prison generally are actually quite religious. That is a reality. Uh, and and there are many religious organizations that are always looking for volunteers to come in. You know, I, I went to Catholic services while I was inside. And Catholic service inside, when there's someone from the outside sitting in the room, is a really different experience. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's it's the same it's the same ceremony, but it's really yeah. different when there's somebody there who's not there because, you know, they're in prison, who's there because I actually care about you. I'm here to support you in what you're doing. So I think there's a, there's a wide variety of ways that a person can get involved. Um, But, and and I'm sure you know this as well as anyone, Priscilla, uh, it's not always easy. The the, the prison system is not always welcoming to folks who want to come in and Mm -hmm. uh, help people inside. Uh, It's maybe not always in their best interest in some ways they may see it. But um, I, you have to say to yourself, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do what I have to do to do it. 
and be persistent and uh, and remember that you're there to try to do something that's good for the world. So that's worth a little frustration at times. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love, you know, the first thing you thought you brought up was just the change in ourselves, the changes in humanity, you know, folks in prison are so othered or, you know, folks who have a history, a, a, a criminal history or a record or something, they're so othered. And so it's like, it, it does really start with us. It like does. start there. Um, at PYP, we were very intentional about language. So as you mentioned earlier too, you know, there's language that is just not supportive and it is harmful. And so that's why we are very intentional with using incarcerated individual, incarcerated person um, versus all those words that you named earlier, criminal, et cetera. Um, because just starting there is kind of, is where the change happens. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing, changing your mindset, changing how your body reacts. And then that can maybe get you, if it, if it is your lane into advocacy into volunteering into working in these spaces oh absolutely and and thank you for reminding me you know another great way of participating is you know we're always looking for people who are willing to write a letter to their their legislator mm-hmm. or to go to a meeting and talk to their local legislator and say hey you know i actually think it'd be a good idea if we had some funding for this or this bill passes you know uh the more people we can get on board with that the better uh, and anyone who's watching this, I'm, I think TPW's information is in there somewhere, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll provide it uh, at the end. But, um, you know, we're always looking for people who are interested in supporting advocacy efforts, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, yeah. And I think those are also deeply important to, in this broader picture of how do we change this? How do we change this in a way that at the end of all of our efforts, what exists now is gone? And there mm-hmm. is a there is a different system in place that supports healing and and supports people becoming better human beings, not you know not dehumanizing them so they're you know so they're just broken forever. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and I know so TBW it's got a lot of work going on in California. I know there's some work going on with New York. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there how, is, there is. is it is it kind of doing the same stuff in New York or what's what's the New York chapter kind of like? Right. I, th- I think at this point, the New York chapter is is still forming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 you know, New York is very different than California. Uh, it, of course, you know, I if you go back to our conversation about Norway. One yeah. of the criticisms I would often hear is, well, you know, Norway is so different than California could never work here. And my response is always like, I don't know, everywhere I went in Norway, all I saw were human beings in their prison. So I'm pretty sure it'll probably be the same. <laughs> that's all I see in California prisons too. So, but that's yeah. just how I look at it. But, but I mean, New York is, is in the process of organizing. Uh, and, it, and again, it, this didn't happen in California overnight. You know, it took many, many years yeah. to get to the point we're at now. You know, I mean, uh, we're probably close to 10 years old now. Maybe have one, I think next year will be 10 years old. <clears throat> and we've really only, you know, had this sort of big, big success over the past couple of years. So it t- took a while. And and I think uh, the, the, the people in New York that are working on this are, are working diligently to get something moving in the right direction that would have a similar kind of impact. And again, trying to figure out how they can put it into the context of a New York reality, which is their, their prison system in, in many ways is very different than ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that their legislature 
uh, and their government is not quite as progressive as ours is at this point. Mm. So, um, so I think there's, it's a, it's a little bit where, you know, we kind of hit a sweet spot of California's, our legislature is an extremely progressive legislature uh, yeah. and, and our governor is somewhat progressive. Uh, and, uh, and, and he's, and I think he has decided he would like to see some real changes in the prison system. Uh, again, I'm, would love to sit down and talk to him about some ideas. I think he might be able to do it a little better personally, but mm -hmm. I'm sure he has many people telling him that, but, yeah. uh, but I mean, he is definitely making some big strides and, uh, and, you know, we're not sure New York is New York's government is quite ready to do that today, but you know, I mean, I think there's definitely good work happening in New York and, uh, and I'd be happy to connect anyone uh, with the New York uh, folks if there's any. I see there is at least one person on this who's from New York. So yeah. uh, if they're happy to uh, share the, uh, the, the they can reach out to me directly and I'll connect them to the folks in New York. Amazing. Yeah. And with that, I like to open with questions. There's a question from someone who's in New York. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you, Julianne, for your question. Um, I'll read that out loud. Do you have suggestions for building and promoting rehabilitative programs and facilities? I teach trauma-informed yoga in a women's facility in New York. I have been challenged by a lack of focus and effort of administration and department leaders to effectively inform the population of programs that are not state-mandated, especially post-COVID. The majority of participants enter because of word of mouth, and that method can be limiting. Generally, the administration is supportive, but I would be grateful for suggestions to continue to increase participation and awareness. Well, that, that's a great question. Thank you, Julianne. Uh, like I said, please reach out to me and I will connect you with the folks in New York that are uh, forming a, a New York chapter of the TPW. Um, I, I guess beyond that, broadly speaking, I think, I think organizations that are doing this kind of work need to get together. Like that's kind of, I mean, if we if we look at California's evolution, it, it didn't start with us advocating in Sacramento for this, that, or the other thing it started with getting organizations together. If, if you're going to a specific prison, I'm assuming you probably, there are probably at least a couple of other organizations that are also going in there doing whatever and try to say like, Hey, let's, let's get together, let's get together and have lunch and talk. And, and maybe just sort of introduce the idea of what if we try to work together a little bit to, in, to increase our ability to provide our program inside this prison and get to know each other and how can we pool our resources and, you know, figure out what works best, you know, what doesn't work very well, mm -hmm. and then see that move, moving on a broader into a more system-wide level of, of trying to get people together. Like I say, I'll connect you with someone who is doing some of that right now, trying to make that happen. Uh, but I think, you know, I think ultimately it's a process and it results, it requires organization. And that you, you and originally our original em employee, a staff member of TPW was an organizer. That's what they did mm -hmm. was organize. And they spent quite a, several years. That's all they did was how do we organize this space, this group of people. And really any social movement begins with organizing. So now once you get people organized somewhat, then you can say, okay, what do you all want? What, mm -hmm. what would be, what would work for you? And I think that's sort of the evolution of what, where we did, we reached that point where we had a fairly large group of people, large number of organizations. 
in our case, we don't really have individual members. We have organization members. Hmm. And, and, and then we were like, okay, let's get people together and say, so what would make your, how you do your work better? What are the kind of issues that you face? What can we do to help you with that? And that began sort of our advocacy, which mostly began at the administrative level with the department, trying to figure out how can we get this to work or that to work. And, it, and, and I, in my own evolution of this, it became pretty clear to me pretty quickly, we really needed to go to the legislature and start working more at the higher level. They, um, the mm-hmm. administration was not that interested in really, really making change. You know, yeah. prisons are kind of resistant to change, generally speaking. They're very conservative operations, you know, and they generally aren't really interested in a lot of change. But, you know, getting together, meeting each other, figuring out how you can work together, and then sort of trying to figure out how do we get more of our fellow organizations together that are doing similar kind of work in the various prisons, and then sort of maybe then convening people, getting everybody into one space uh, and saying, okay, what do we want to do as a collective? So I think those are sort of like the broad steps and then and then sort of developing some kind of legislative and uh, administrative uh, um, approach. Thank you. I love that. And I love that, you know, it's community building. And I feel like that's kind of the answer to a lot of to a lot of things, you know, especially. Mm-hmm. Someone sending someone to to prisons. Um, that's stripping them from their community. That's mm-hmm. getting them alone, having them feel alone. Um, and so, yeah, bringing these communities together to create that sense of community is just healing. Just being in a communal space is healing, especially with the intention of, of bringing healing to, to those who are there. So I love that answer. Mm-hmm. Just checking the chat. Yep. Somebody asked about uh, uh, if I would share my uh, email, which I did that, and I'm happy to reach out to anybody who reaches out to me. Um, and uh, yep, you're welcome, Stephanie. And, and then I don't see any other specific questions right now, um, okay. but I'm happy uh, to an- answer anything that pops up while we're here. Yeah. So folks, um, Q&A is open. So if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat or in the Q&A button. Um, Ken, so I've, I've been with PYP for three years now Mm -hmm. and before learning about, you know, more about organizations, I was so surprised to learn, you know, there's, there's a group that brings in puppies. There's a group that bring in that, that there's like a theater group and, you know, just in case there's other folks on the call here who don't know what kind of programs are available, can you share some of the programs that you know about and what they do? Oh, sure. I mean, so so I think there's you you mentioned the puppy to programs. There's actually several of those programs in California. In fact, many places around the country have, have done this. It's sort of it, it actually it, it's those are one of those kind of perfect meet, meetings of needs and desires. You know, it's like there are many animals who don't have a home to live in and often one of the problems is the animals don't really know how to function with human beings Mm. maybe they lived in a traumatic environment like we did you know and and i think for us as people in prison you know helping these animals you know become better socialized is often a very powerfully transformative experience because most of the time it's not the animal's fault the animal was in a bad place and because treated poorly and as people who 
many of us came from bad places who were treated poorly too. There's a lot yes. of, it's a very, I mean, there's this, uh, there's a, when the program started at Lancaster, where I was at uh, pause for life canine rescue, you could look that up. It's a wonderful organization that does absolutely amazing work in multiple prisons in California. Uh, you know, they, they like to tell a story when their sort of history that when the program started there, you know, this sort of old hardcore, you know, convict kind of guy, you know, came up and hugged one of the dogs and started crying. And that was me. That was, that was, oh. I did that. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a crier generally speaking, but I mean, it, I grew up with dogs and I never thought I would actually dog and be able to touch a dog ever again in my life, you know? Yeah. And it was a super powerful experience. I, I can feel the emotion of it right now. I mean, it was just like, I remember that like so powerfully, you know? And, and so there are dog programs that there's also, I believe there's a cat program somewhere. If I do remember, I thought I just heard about this cat kittens and stuff going in. Um, but, but there are, so there's those kind of things. There's art programs that sort of, sort of, you know, work on helping people deal with their issues through art and within art, there's everything from writing theater programs, mm. uh, you know, visual arts, like painting and those kind of things, uh, you know, performing arts, uh, music, so that there's like that whole space. Then there's like there's spaces that are more kind of look at working on like restorative kind of things and uh, where you people are more dealing with the, the traumas of their lives. I was a facilitator for a program called Houses of Healing, mm. uh, which is uh, run by the Lionheart Foundation. I was a facilitator for that for several years. Uh, and they do amazing, really powerful. They, they call their work emotional literacy. And okay. it's really super powerful thing. And that's one. And you know, I did another, I was a facilitator for alternatives to violence program, which is another whole uh, type of dealing with, you know, violence issues and, and, you know, how to, how to live a nonviolent life. The program was actually created by incarcerated people in prison in New York state originally, I believe. Mm. And, uh, and it's, and it's all over the country actually. And, and, and there's just, and that's just like a tiny, you know, everything you can imagine of being used in a rehabilitative way there are people who have have a passion for this mm -hmm. particular thing yoga is actually there's multiple very powerful very successful programs that yoga is a big part of there are programs that focus specifically on meditation type programs like that's kind of the center of it um you know and then literally every other thing and again i i you know i i want to be fair there's, there's also many very powerful, very, uh, very high quality religious based programs. Mm -hmm. uh, they're more from organized religious per perspectives and every kind of that, uh, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, all of the major Native American spirituality, uh, all of the various uh, branches of that. So there's like everything you could imagine probably exists somewhere in a prison uh, in Cal, there's many gender specific programs. Many mm -hmm. programs are specifically for women. Many uh, programs are specifically for people from the LGBTQ pro, uh, communities. I mean, so there's a lot. There's like everything you can think of is it, it's happening somewhere in California. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you had mentioned, I think it was houses of healing and emotional literacy. Emotional mm -hmm. literacy is like. I wish it was something that was taught from kindergarten to forever because once I you know, started getting more into this work before joining PYP and then it was mostly maybe it, it started with my own healing, 
And so I started seeing a life coach, which you're a life coach. And I love, I love, love, love life coaches. And I feel like one of the first things we worked on was words for feelings. And I didn't realize that I didn't know a lot of words for feelings, you know, and I think there's, you know, angry, mad, happy, joy. And that's kind of, there's just so much more to emotional literacy. And the more that I learned about it, the more settled I felt in my own body. And, and I'm curious, you know, what, what that organization does, what it, what does it look like to offer and share about emotional literacy? So, so the, the way the program is structured is there is a, a woman's name is Robin Kasargian. She's located in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, she has an extraordinarily powerful story, which I will not share the entirety of it because it's a big sort of a central part of her her program. But if anyone is interested, it's called Houses of Healing. It's a really, really powerful program. But the nutshell of the program is there is a there is a very strong meditation component. There's a very strong uh, listening to training about how to identify how you feel and why you feel how you feel and how you can impact how you feel and why you feel how you feel. There's sort of this whole broad idea of getting in touch with what you feel inside, where that's come from, and how you can manage that in a way that you can take it from being completely reactive to mm-hmm. being more, more, have more of a sense of who you are and why you feel this way. And you can take those feelings and move them in a way that is productive and useful and healing. And I, and it's, it's, and it really just, and then there's a, there's a group discussion component, which is facilitated by whoever happens to be the facilitator. Robin has a series of of videos for each session of the class, which goes on for 12 weeks. And, uh, and, and she presents her sort of her, her professional perspective. She's a professional therapist uh, and has, has much also very powerful lived experience that relates to this. And between those two things, I mean, she just, talks about so much that is so powerful and at the end of it i don't think anyone doesn't come out of that who really participates in the program that doesn't say to themselves oh that's why i feel this way that's where that came from and 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 that is so powerful because i think for a lot of folks at least in my own life and i'm and probably Mm -hmm. in i imagine most other people's lives you, you know, you're, you're mad about something and you just, you don't have any, like, I don't know why I am. I'm just mad about that. That makes me angry. And it's like, and you, and very rarely, I think particularly out here in, in weirdly, very rarely do people have, have the time or the opportunity or the inclination to go, why am I mad about that thing? What, where yeah. does that, where does that come from? And then when you sort of explore that, it often comes from things that were like, had nothing to do with the thing you're angry about, but things that happened to you when you were like, five years old or, you know, or, you know, something that happened to you when you were in elementary school or, you know, just stuff with your mother and father and, you know, and your, yeah. your siblings and the neighborhood you lived in. And there's all these things that are completely out of your control that you had nothing to do with. And they impact your life in ways that unless you explore them, they just yeah. have this, they're like, they're like hands that pull your string and you don't even know what, what they're, why they're there. And, but you're like, and I can say from my own experience, there are things when I was a teenager that just got me just completely bent out of shape. And it wasn't until I was in my you know late twenties, early thirties, I was going like, why am I mad about that? That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm just, I'm really pissed about it. And then taking the time to explore and learn and you're all, and all of a sudden you go, Oh, that's it. And then when it happens again, you can kind of go like, yeah, this doesn't really have anything to do with this. Actually, this is, you know, 
this is something my mom said to me when I was 10. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and this person standing in front of me has nothing to do with why I'm really upset, actually. You yeah. know? So I, I think it's easy. And I think this is like I have met multiple people on the outside who often will say, particularly a, a lot about lifers who are in for a long time and have to go to the board and all that. It's like you guys have done more work on yourselves than most people I've ever met. You know, and of course we had to, and it was, and it was part of our reality, but I mean, I think the more that, the better for everyone, actually. I mean, I, I agree. literacy should be taught from kindergarten through forever. No forever. Yeah. And like how you noted, you know, someone could just be angry. They don't know why they're angry. And without that emotional literacy of being able to pause, thinking about it, like go back in, into your mind of why this might be. And to even have that pause in the first place, you know, that that anger may be turned into uh, something else, something harmful to someone else. And that just like leading, paving the road to incarceration. Um, And so I'm so glad to hear that that program houses of healing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that they incorporate meditation, too. And I think, you know, absolutely. that's, That's why. Why the work that we do is so important, that meditation part, because it just brings in that pause, that pause that you can take a beat, take that breath. Okay, I feel this way, notice it and and name it, and then hopefully be able to work with it in that moment. And if that means going off for a walk, having some alone time until you settle back into your body, then that's great, whatever it takes to you know, keep you from harming others or yourself and just making that, that one decision that sends you where you don't want to be. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I, I think if, if, the, if folks in the world had that kind of, you know, consistent training from early on in their lives, the prison's population would like virtually disappear because yeah. that's almost all of it is moments that of just people losing their control and, being triggered by something that they're just not aware of and they're not really thinking about very well. Um, you know, it's like all of that is just, and I, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm speaking about myself right now. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. That was my, you know, I had these things that were boiling around inside of me that just didn't really have any sense of where it came from. All I knew, and I just didn't know how to do that. What you said, that most important step, that stop, pause, because most of the time, if you do that, the dumb stuff won't happen because you'll go, that's really stupid, right? I mean, it's like, but if you're not taking that pause, you yeah. do those things, and then afterwards you go, "Wow, that was really stupid. Why did mm-hmm. I do that?" But boy, that pause is everything. I think it's a, that man. We should just if we could just keep people to do that, just yeah. that one thing, like just pause every time and go, yeah. and man, everything changes just with that breath, right? It really yeah. does. Yeah, and uh, and it's really tough to do if you not first off if you haven't been exposed to it exposed to that pause meditation, you know, breath work. And it's also tough if you just, if you don't practice it often. Um, I remember there was like a couple weeks where there, we had a lot of webinars going on and we had workshops and I was joining all of them and I was doing um, a centering. I was joining in the centering very often. It was a couple weeks worth of a lot of stuff going on and every meeting had started with that centering and so I had that practice really strong at that time. And then some, some stuff came up for me during a, a session that, you know, I think typically would have sent my nervous system up 
Um, but I really had that reflex of the centering of the taking a moment, the meditation, I think, because I did feel activated, you know, and then, but I was able to come back down into a calm state very quickly, much quicker than I used to. And I was like, wow, how did I do that? You know? And then I thought about it. Oh, wow. I've been meditating. I've been centering a lot because of all the events of those zoom events that I've been going to that started with centering. So knowing about it, being exposed to it, but also that practice, keeping that practice up just so that it's a reflex that you don't even have to mm-hmm. think about anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really do know. And, and I, and I could tell you, I, I we don't have a little bit of time left, but uh, you know, I started meditating really very organically. I was, I was actually in a uh, security housing unit, the whole, we call it prison. Uh, for a weird, weird situation that had something to do with medical stuff and all that. But this was a long time ago. I was like 26 years old. Uh, and I had been in the hole for a couple of months and I was really kind of losing my mind. And, and I just, there was this moment where I said, I have to do something. I, I, I've got to, and I just sat down and I just started breathing and I just sort of fell in. It, I still remember it felt like I fell into this like warm honey. And I just felt enveloped in this. And, and it was just like, and then from that, I just was able to go, okay, calm down, you know, get control of yourself. And, uh, and, and I have been a, a meditator ever since. And I meditate, I try to meditate every day. I'm not going to lie and say I'm always do every day. Cause I, I like to think that I do, but I don't every day, <laughs> but I do most days. And, uh, and I definitely practice that, that thing of like, when things start getting hectic of just kind of stopping and taking, taking that long, slow breath and going. And, and that breath, I mean, that breath is just so yeah. powerful. And it, that, that action right there has changed my life. It's, it's, I have so many arguments that I would have been in so many dumb things I would have done, you know, are just stopped by that, taking that deep breath and then saying, okay, there's a better way than this, you know? And like you say, maybe I just have to say, you know what? I'll talk to you later, you know, mm-hmm. or I just gonna, I'm going to go by myself for a while, you know, but, but it's, it's so powerful. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most powerful things in the world for a human. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was just thinking about times when I've done that too, that, and it be, and it can be, be because, um, I don't know how to use the formula in a spreadsheet. It could be something so simple. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, yes. The to-do list looks large. There's laundry, there's dishes, all these things Mm -hmm. can like feel like so built up. And then Mm -hmm. taking that moment to just breathe, allow my nervous system to settle. And you know, that once I'm back at that state, then I can see the to-do list in a one, two, three versus symbols that I don't understand. And it's a jumble. Right. 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 No, I, you know, and we, we were talking about, uh, uh, houses of healing program robin kasarjian one her her mantra for the entire program is be gentle on yourself you know and i think i think i think we are, we are all so hard on ourselves so much i need to get that done right now i got five things i got to get done i get them all got to get them all done right now you know i got to be perfect at this i can't fail at that and boy by the end of that you're just you know you're just like wound up into a knot and and, yeah. and her thing is just be gentle with yourself you know and just like man, sometimes you just got to take that slow breath, just stop and say, you know what, that laundry is going to be okay. I'm going to go sit down for a minute and take a couple of breaths. Yeah. 
to regain my composure and go, okay, back to the laundry or back to the spread. Trust me, I spreadsheets. I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Unless you can I, do uh, it all. I'm kind of like, wow, that's really impressive. I don't know how you did that, but that's super impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just really quickly bringing up that like, I watched a video recently and it was talking about certain tasks that are, or tasks that are, they're moral, morally neutral. So that, that pile of laundry, the dishes, you know, especially with this like, go, 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 this hustle culture, let's get everything done, get everything done now, or else you're bad. Right. You know, it's like yep. the laundry is morally neutral. Completely. You're not a good person or bad person. You know, the dishes, certain things, you know, like, and that, that ties in with being gentle with yourself, you know, just because you didn't do that thing doesn't equal your bad. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. And, and I think that's at the heart of so much, so much struggle that people have. And, and, and it's just so much, it's a culture that does have these completely unrealistic expectations and set these standards that are unachievable by most human beings. Uh, you know, and I, and I can tell you, it's funny. I mean, this, I remember I would always so impressed with these people who were like these leaders of these big businesses and all that. And I say, well, they, they just, you know, they're writing books and they're doing this. And they're doing, You know, I found out fairly not that long ago, like the last couple of years uh, from a, someone I'm very close to uh, who writes books for business leaders because they don't actually write those books. <laughs> they just they just get interviewed by somebody in an afternoon and then that person goes off and writes the book for them. And I and I thought. Again, it's setting this ridiculous yeah. expectation. Like we're going to all be able to do this. Well, no, we're not because we all can't afford to pay a ghostwriter to write the book for us. So, I mean, it, it's, it, and again, and no one ever says that. I mean, I would be so much more impressive if the guy said, Hey, I was interviewed by somebody and I told him to write a book for me. And be like, oh, I respect that more, but like, this is a book I've worked on while I was doing my seven jobs and accomplishing yeah. this and that. And you're like, man, I feel like a real slump right now. I can't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they didn't do it either actually yeah. so i mean I was like, <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like this ties in you know with be gentle with yourself and be gentle with others mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it ties yeah. into what what can we do to be a part of this work well starting with yourself you can you know view and accept folks who are incarcerated as, as human, as, uh, as fellow community members, as siblings, mm -hmm. you know, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with others. That kind of just like sparks the very beginning of, you know, the world that we want to live in. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I just want to say how uh, much I appreciate the work that you do uh, and the work that uh, your program does, dramatic, powerful, life-changing stuff. I mean, really impressive. And and it's an honor for me to be able to be at this point in my life to be representing programs who do the kind of work that, that I tell people all the time, this kind of work saved my life, like yeah. literally saved my life. The work that the organizations that are a part of TPW do is literally life-saving work. I tell them that all the time. This is not like feel good work. It's not, you know, it's like, oh, we go in and we have fun. I always tell people, that's nice if you do. I hope you do have fun. I hope it does feel good. But you're saving people's lives, you know, because if you can't, if we inside, if we're not able to find a way to heal and find a way to become 
better than our worst moments. You know, that's it for us. And I think it's just so important and so powerful. And I think everyone who does this work is basically a hero. I mean, I really think there's a, it's a heroic thing to go in and do that. It's not easy. It's not rewarding all the time. It's not fun all the time. I know that. Uh, but I just, I just want to really say to everyone who's listening, everyone who may see this, and to you in particular, Priscilla, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation and um, just how deeply I appreciate the work you all do. I really, really do. And I'm, I know all the people inside feel very much the same. They really do. Thank you so much, Ken. And thank you for for sharing and for doing the work that you do. You know, I mean, the stuff that the work that TPW has done is has supported us so much with those grants and with everything. It's y'all are doing a fantastic job. Um, no, no critiques. Keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much. And, and we're, we're going to and we, we have lots of things planned. And uh, and again, for anyone who may see this, uh, please reach out. And we're always looking for folks who want to help out in advocacy. Uh, we got anyone who knows anyone in the legislature who has a friend mm -hmm. love to talk to you because, uh, you know, it's a it's it is about personal relationships. It's about yeah. meeting people, it's about talking to people. Um, I spend a lot of my time just walking around office to office, sitting down and talking to people and explaining to legislative people, their staff, sometimes the legislators themselves, why that what this is important, why this matters, why supporting this is the right thing to do. And um, and I think people are starting to hear what I have to say. I'm happy of that. And again, it isn't just me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, part of a team. Uh, specifically, I just don't I don't want to forget Ginny Oshiro, who I who is my yes. co co advocacy worker, who is just you know like a uh, just a dynamic, powerful, amazing young woman, and Seraphine Serrano, who does spectacular membership work. Uh, you know, and also uh, Karen Sue, who's our operations person, um, you know, so there's a there's a lot of good stuff going on. Betty McKay is our women's committee person. And Terrell Hall is the uh, New York chapter director. Uh, we're all doing uh, as hard as we can to make this all happen. And it's reward. It is very rewarding work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Any chance that, you know, we have those monthly TPW meetings. I am just in awe of all the people that are actively doing this work it's incredible whether they are part of the the theater organization the painting organization all these different organizations oh, it feels like it feels incredible to be to be in the space with y'all and you know if anyone's interested i dropped in the link of the ch in the chat um uh, but it's the tpw.org is that that's the website the tpw.org um if you want to check out some more information there um, otherwise, Ken, thank you so much for sharing space with me today. Thank you to everyone who joined. This is amazing. And I can't wait to see what else TPW does. Thanks, Priscilla. I really had a great time. And thank you for everyone who attended. Really had fun. Thank you.